Let's turn now to the book of Hebrews, and this is the New Testament perspective on that hope to be found in the Savior. Hebrews chapter 12 is part of our series. We've been working through this book, and we're kind of getting to the end now, but there's so much more. And so it's really good that we can still spend time here. So Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11 this morning, but I'll be reading from verse 1 of chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. So it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, capital H, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, last week we looked at the picture of faith as a race. We are all involved in this race of faith. And any coach will tell an athlete that you must first win a race in your head before you cross the finishing line. You see, because you've got to break through pain, because you've got to push through and endure, there's a battle in the head and the heart that first has to be fought. Otherwise, you'll never get across that line. And so if you're going to persevere and to win in a race, you've got to win the battle of the mind. And today we're going to examine this battle, but it's a battle of the soul in this race of faith. There's a battle that we're involved in, and we're going to be looking at that specifically. And the, the key word is the word endure. The Greek word is hypomeno, to maintain or a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. To endure, to stand your ground. I, I try and keep up to date with what's happening in the Ukraine. And you see two attitudes when it comes to the battle in the Ukraine. You see the attitude of most of the Ukrainians and then you see the attitude of some in the West. The attitude of those in the Ukraine, there's a grim determination. 
A reporter asked one, why do you continue to fight when it seems to be overwhelming odds? And I'm going to try and do a good Ukrainian accent now. He said, it is our land. We fight. No fight, no land. Now, in contrast to that, take the opinion of some in the West now who are starting to tire of this whole battle because it's impinging on their lifestyles. Gas prices are rising in the West and specifically in Europe. And some of the Western nations are starting to say, mm, is this really worth it? How long do we still have to continue? It's not their land, not their fight. They're not losing ground. You see, to the Ukrainians, there's a great price to be paid. It's everything. And it's the same with our spiritual battles that we are involved in too. There's a great price to be paid for disengaging from the battle. There's a great price to be paid. There's only one way to sustain this battle, and that's what the writer to the Hebrews is going to point us to. And what is he pointing us to? It's not a what. It's a who. What does he say to us? He says in verse 3, consider Christ. When you're feeling weary, when you're feeling faint-hearted, and we'll get to those now, he says, consider Christ. Now, it doesn't mean just think about him. The word consider is much deeper. It's the word which speaks about to, to reckon up and to take full note of. There's two parts to it. The one's an accounting term. Add up the sums. Do the reckoning. Look at the life of Christ. Consider everything is done for you and add it up. And then, he says, take full note of his example. What happened to Jesus Christ? He endured suffering and gave up so much for us. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, what did Christ give up? Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then he became one of us. He gave up his place in heaven and all the glories of heaven to come and live among us, worthless human beings, worth so much to him. Reckon up and take full note of Christ's example. He endured such hostility from his own creations so that we, his followers, might look to his example for strength. So it's not just consider Christ, think about him. Take note of Christ's example so that that will inspire you, so that when you are feeling weary and faint-hearted, you will be strengthened, right? Now, the word used for weariness is not just to be tired. The word here is a weariness right in the soul. It's a deep loss of hope. It's feeling hopeless right in the core of you as a human being. I'm weary of soul. It's the type of weariness that drives people to suicide. There's lots more involved here. They get so helpless, hopeless, that they take their own lives. It's the weariness of being so tired in your soul that you don't know if you can carry it. That's what he's speaking about here. When you're feeling weary like that, consider Christ. That's what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 42. And this faint-heartedness is, the literal term is losing heart. It's not just 
a weakening heart. It's losing heart. It's talking about determination and not being able to continue. You see, when you grow, when you grow weary in your soul, it affects the heart. You can't continue. He's saying when you're in this condition, when you feel as if you can't carry on in the core of you, when your feet stop walking, when you stand still in life and your arms hang down, he says, consider Christ because you will be strengthened. He will lift you up. Look at his example of what he went through for you. And he will do the rest in you. But consider Christ. Secondly, we come to verses 3 to 4 in the chapter. He says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation? My son, the Lord's discipline is on you. What's he speaking about here? There are two things that we're going to cover now. There's the battle, and then there's discipline. The battle that we're involved in with our souls, and then the Lord's discipline or His hand on our lives. There's two aspects here. They're not the same thing. So firstly, the battle. There's three words which describe this battle, which we have to undergo to maintain our Christian walk and our testimony. And there are three words that you'll come up against here. There they are. The word opposition. The word struggle. The word resist. Those are the three we're going to look at now. What are we looking at? The word opposition is, or your Bible might say hostility or contradiction in the old uh, King James. It's the word antilochia. You recognize any words there? Antilogic. It's to come up against people in controversies, in quarrels, and in disputes. In other words, we're talking about when ideas and people's ideas come against your ideas of what Scripture is and what life is. You see, it's hard when others come up against us because we are Christians. And it may be over a stretch of time. It may be over years that people come up against you and they're constantly coming against you as a believer. Constantly. It might be family members. It might be colleagues. Might be one of your friends who's still a friend. They come up against us constantly. And it wears you down. But recognize this antilochia, this clashing of ideas, is part of the battle. Don't be surprised. They are going to come up against you. Jesus said, John 15, 20, A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So don't be surprised. There's a second word, struggle, here. And it's a word, the King James says, striving. In your striving. In your struggle. The word here is antogon, an, sorry, antagonizomai. Which means, do you recognize any words there? Antagonistic. Okay. And it literally means, and I know Dave's covered this before, but I'm sure you won't remember anything anymore. The word is to wrestle against and to prove a match for in war. It's actual wrestling in war. Physical, spiritual, actual war, real war. That's it. It's part of the battle. It's real. 
not just for good Christians. It's real for every single one of us. That's the word struggle. There's much more there. And then there's the word resist. And this word, I'm not even going to say this one, is to set against and oppose and confront by law. That's another part of this battle. We are to resist using God's truth. So we've got three things there. There's the clash of ideas. There's the actual physical and spiritual struggle involved in this battle. And then there's coming against the untruth with truth. To resist. What are we resisting? Other people? What does the text say? Some people, what does the text say? Is anyone looking in the text? What does the text say? Resisting what? Sin. Who's that? Me. No, not the devil. It's me. It's me. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all. You see, we all come up against sin in our own lives. And then, yes, there's a sin in the world around us. And Satan and everything else. It's us we've got to battle with first. Our struggle is with sin. And he says, he challenges us, the writer to the Hebrews. Yes, life is hard, he says. And you've got to apply God's truth to your, to your sin. But he says, Yes, it's hard, but have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Anyone? Have you so fought with sin in your life that you're willing to shed blood for it? The answer is none of us have. And so, in the spiritual warfare, there's another aspect here. So as we fight this battle, which is, consists of opposition, struggle, and resisting sin, we need to resist the temptation to grow weary and lose heart. And I say it's a temptation to grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because if Satan wears us down, he will dominate us. But only if, if we continue to resist will we have victory. In Christ, and there's our reason for having victory. He will tempt you to give up. You will be tempted to give up because it's hard. Not. But, he says, you are in Christ. And so James commands us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Who's the devil fleeing from? Not you and standing against him. He's fleeing against the Christ in you. Because you're standing in Christ. Remember that. Really important. Otherwise we're trying to do things in our own strength. The Apostle Paul commands us, having done all to resist sin and to try and please God in everything we do, stand. Stand in what? Stand in Christ. Not just on your own being a good soldier. Stand in Christ. You get it? That's how we overcome this battle. And then we get to verses 5 to 11. This is what he says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses your sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. We've looked at the battle, and now there's another aspect of the Christian struggle, and that is the Lord's discipline in our lives. And we must really take note of this. Don't confuse the two. When you're going through hard times, sometimes it's part of the battle, 
But sometimes it's the Lord's hand on you and see if you can pick up the lesson quickly. Because the Lord wants to discipline us as sons. Let's look at what it says. Verse 7a is the key. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. You see the word discipline here is used from the Greek word which is paideia, which the, at the root of it is the word child. And it is the pedagogics of a child. How to train a child. That's what the word discipline is based on. And so with rather astounding insight, this author to the Hebrew says this. He says that Christians are to consider the tough times of spiritual warfare that they are enduring as a kind of discipline that children endure in order to grow into responsible adults. Now that's not a very a message that the world believes in much anymore. Discipline and responsibility. And although modern society no longer agrees with this discipline, resulting in irresponsible children and adults, as we've seen in this recent spate of ram raids and rising crime statistics in our country, it's based on this. No discipline, you bear the consequences. Discipline's a dirty word today. But you see, we're talking about a different thing here, you see. We're speaking about the Lord's discipline. And then we're going to look at human discipline, and then we're going to see the blessing of this discipline. So threes today. So what is this Lord's discipline? He says the Lord is chastening you, says the King James Version. The word is the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, instruction, through correction and punishment. There's a long description there. The Lord is disciplining us. He's chastening us. He's training us. He's putting the training wheels on us. We don't like them, but we need them. I want to ride free. You can't. You still need the training wheels. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself really badly. And so the author bases this assertion on this quotation that he provides from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. I'll read the whole thing. He says, my son, that includes you ladies, by the way, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Why? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises, good old word, every son whom he receives. What does that mean? You see, we struggle sometimes with this picture of God as a father who uses corporal punishment with his children in this picture. Don't like that picture. Not a popular picture. Try and evangelize with that picture. We rather prefer a lovey-dovey God who never corrects, who never rouses with us, who never spanks when we misbehave. But this view of God is derived not from Scripture, but from society. Society has come to this. You see, 25 years or so ago, and I'm being flexible here, corporal punishment became a socially taboo thing. And it's now even classed as a crime by law in New Zealand and all over the world. But look what we reap in society is loss of character 
in many of our youths and we're reaping the results in society. Now, I'm going to put parameters around this. You see, corporal punishment, when correctly used, there's my parameter, has been part of the parents' tools for correction for millennia. Right from the time of Proverbs. And before that. Unfortunately, many have misused this type of punishment and have assaulted their children. But by banning corporal punishment in totality, we've thrown the baby out of the bathwater. And now he's soaking in the consequences. The God of the Bible is known to rebuke and punish. And if that's evil, then he's evil. But he justly does so. He does so with love. And so we need to look at that example. And scripture says we shouldn't be offended because without a firm hand of discipline in our lives from God, we become spoiled children. I'm sure you've seen some of those in the supermarket. Or maybe it was you in the supermarket. And the secret here to enduring God's discipline and to see it as discipline is to learn the lesson quickly. Unless you're a masochist and you like pain. What is God saying to me when I'm going through hard times? A.W. Pink, he's a famous dead guy. He said this, he said, form the habit of heeding his taps and you will less likely to receive his raps. There's a difference between a hand on the shoulder saying, no more. And a hand on the other end, on the posterior, saying, no more. There's a big difference. And the difference is pain. How quickly do we learn the lessons that God teaches us? And then we look at the Father's discipline, verses 7 to 11. He, you see, unlike human parents who, even with the best intentions of the world, and you might be one of these, I know I was, we make mistakes when it comes to discipline. We under-discipline, we over-discipline, sometimes we fail to discipline, sometimes we discipline with the wrong motives, sometimes we discipline in the wrong way, you know, that whack one, or the wrong at the wrong time. God makes no such mistakes. He's never made a mistake, he never will. He always disciplines his scripture for our good and to draw us back to himself. That's a beautiful picture. I see that picture, I can't get too personal in this, but I see that picture when you've disciplined your child and they know they've done wrong, and yes, it's sore, but you give them that hug afterwards, and there's a very tender moment there. It hurt, but we're drawn together. That's what God does with his discipline. There's a second factor that comes into this father's discipline. In the social structure of when this was written, Fathers had to train their sons, specifically, to take over the family business and family affairs. And before a son could be deemed fit to take over, he had to be tested. He had to be disciplined, trained. He had to be educated. They had to know that the family business, the family money that had come into the family, would not just disappear because of a son who couldn't handle things. So the son had to be disciplined. He had to be trained. And the same amount of energy would not be spent on an illegitimate son. And in the times that we're talking about now, written the book of Hebrews, there were many illegitimate sons taken on by households just to be slaves. 
And yes, they also got disciplined, but it was more to keep them in line. It was not to train. Keep them in line, keep them under control. But this father, he disciplines his son. He trains us. He takes careful and painstaking discipline. It's designed to mold and to perfect the character of the son. Are you being disciplined by the Lord? Be encouraged. It shows your legitimacy before him that he loves you, that he wants to train you. He wants you to be made holy. And that's where we come to our last section here. What are the blessings of this discipline God brings us? Look at verse 9 to 11. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our fathers on earth, disciplined us for a short time as it deemed best, seemed best to them. But He, our Father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. Fantastic, isn't it? So what's the first blessing we receive because of discipline? We receive eternal life. Now, be careful. I'm not saying that if you listen to God and really listen to what He says and you're obedient to Him, then you will get eternal life. Because that's a salvation of works. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that if you listen to what the Lord is doing in your life as a believer who's been saved by His grace, then as a result of that, you will receive, you will get into, you will make eternal life. Because Christ will do that in you. You will get there. And so He says, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? nothing else there. The Father who is the Father of our spirits is the one who's in control. So we need to submit to Him. He knows our souls. He knows when we're getting so tired that my soul is weary. He knows. We need to submit to Him. He is the maker of that soul. And what does Scripture say? He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. I don't know about your life. I know my life. 100% holy is not what I describe it. I'm working towards that and God is doing a work in me, but I am not yet 100% holy. I am holy as in set apart to Him, but He's still working in me, making me to look like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed, listen to this, into the same image as Christ's, from one glory to another. Wow. He's preparing us for eternal glory. He's making us holy like Christ in our characters. And that doesn't develop overnight. You know as children what has to happen. You can't get those manners corrected overnight, right? Some of us still struggle with things later in life in our kids takes time but we'll get there and it will only be completed when we enter the presence of Jesus Christ at the end of our lives then we will be completely holy until then says the apostle Paul we must go through many hardships to endure to enter the kingdom of God in other words he's saying no pain no gain under the father's discipline it's worth it just endure. The psalmist sums it up beautifully. He says in Psalm 119, verse 67 and 71, he says, listen to this, the wisdom of this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. 
but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted, so I might learn your decrees. Under the hand of Almighty God, it is a blessing when he disciplines, because he loves us. What do we do with that? Three quick points. Here they are. First one, if you're experiencing weariness in the soul, if you're feeling faint-hearted, don't give Satan the upper hand. Consider Christ. Do the sums. He has already won the victory. Now follow him. It sounds easy, but it's very hard. Secondly, accept God's discipline in your life. Don't ask God, why God, in the spirit of wanting God to justify himself to you. Sometimes, from a humanity perspective, we'll say, Lord, why is this happening to me? And it's, I'm querying, but it's the attitude of, Lord, I know you're in control. I'm trying to understand. This is not that. It's speaking about saying, why God? Explain to me, please. See the difference? Or we give God advice on alternative disciplines. I know, have you had kids like that? My brother was like that. When he was about to get the strap, he would, rule out, he would say to my mom, I don't need the strap, you can give me this or this or this. Try and negotiate. A better one for himself, of course. Sometimes we do that as believers. God is taking us through specific things in our lives and we're saying, Lord, I don't quite agree with the way you're doing it. I think it'd be better if you did this. We become God's advisors under discipline. He's saying, no, accept the disciplines, says the writer to the Hebrews. God will only give right discipline to you and perfect discipline. So accept his wisdom. He is the God of your soul. He knows you. And lastly, get those training shoes on and continue the race. Train. The battle, the discipline, are part of the race. You can't win the race. You can't go over that last line if you're not training under God. And so don't see the hardships of the Christian life as something to escape. Sometimes we pray that way. Lord, take me out of the situation. Well, God wants you to be in the situation because he's training you. Rather, he says, submit yourself to God's spiritual training program in your life. He's preparing you for eternal service to him as his son, as his daughter. What's he doing? He's training you as an heir of righteousness. So accept his training. I hope that's spoken to your life. It's spoken to my life this week. Because we all go through various stages of things. Things happening in our lives. See it as God's hand. Examine your life before Him. If there's sin in your life, confess it before Him. And there will be sin. Confess it before Him. Before He has to discipline you for that. But submit under the discipline of God when He trains you to. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as human beings, we don't like pain. We like the easy road out. Save us from ourselves, Lord. Save us from the weakness of giving in. 
Rather, Lord, may we look to you, may we look to Jesus Christ, may you strengthen our arms and our legs for the fight. May you strengthen our souls because you've paid the ultimate price so that we can walk free. And you have promised that you will continue to do your work in us until we are perfected in you. In Christ, we are perfect. But in you, we will be made perfect in our habits and in the way we live when you return. Thank you for your work in us. Give us the perseverance now to cling to you as you hold us.